Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning saunterers, welcome to another saunter. We are back in the saddle after Christmas, hope we've all had, a, all had a lovely time, and I've just been racing around a little bit, but here we are, and thank you Jesus, so let's pray, we are on Genesis chapter 41 today, if you're not sure, so Lord Jesus, we welcome you again into this new year, Lord, and we thank you that your word is alive and living and active, and that you want to speak to us through it today, and so we just welcome you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Please just invade our year in the most extraordinarily wonderful ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Fran and Kathy. Great to see you guys. So we're Genesis chapter 41. Morning, Mary. And we're picking up the story of Joseph. And you remember, um, Joseph was in prison. He'd successfully interpreted the dream of these two high-ranking civil servants. And uh, now he's been promptly forgotten in gratitude <laughs> for his great service. So here we go. Now we're in chapter 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh, the whole king of Egypt or the king of all of Egypt, dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass, and behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile, and the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke, wow, morning Chris and Ruth, And Mary and Jonathan, good to see you yesterday. I made it home. (laughs) And he fell asleep. So anyway, then he fell asleep, verse 5, and woke up a second time. And behold, seven ears of... Sorry, he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears thin and blighted by the east wind, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Now, I'm just going to say this thing. Pharaoh has a dream. Just because he's the most important person in the land doesn't mean God can't get through to him. 
So never stop praying for our politicians, our leaders, and even the nasty dictatorial ones. God can get through to them. So God has got through to Pharaoh. He has started broadcasting on a wavelength that Pharaoh is able to kind of connect with. And he knows it's a God dream because, again, just like the civil servants in prison, it's troubled him in his spirit. His spirit has become activated and troubled by this dream. God will get through to us. If we're get throughable too, God will get through to us. God is is troubling this guy's spirit. Now, I really do believe that we're going to come across people in our normal day-to-day lives where God is broadcasting on a frequency that they're starting to get and they're getting troubled in their spirit and they're becoming concerned and anxious about something that they feel is more than just the normal things of this life. And so God is that they kind of become aware of the big questions and, and the sense that God is actually trying to communicate to them. So we need to be ready at that time to step in and move into the anointing, in the realm of the anointing, the revealing of mysteries that God does and be ready to pull on heaven for the solution, for the answer to our friends or our colleagues or our boss or somebody who comes into our um, our sphere and they've been troubled because God is trying to get through to them. God is banging at their door, tapping on the window of their world. Verse So, so the, Pharaoh has access to the best diviners and magicians and wizards and all the rest of it in the land. He gets them all together. I'm sure some of them kind of put forward their suggestions as to what it might mean. But Pharaoh isn't satisfied. He knows none of them have nailed it. And he's like, nobody can interpret this dream. So then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offences today. Oh boy, you can imagine him going, oh, I've just remembered. Oh man, I feel so bad now. I've just remembered I made a promise to this guy. Anyway, so the chief cupbearer says to Pharaoh, I remember my offences today. Will, we're in chapter 41, okay? Um, uh, good to see you though. And, uh, so he says, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the key- chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I both having a dream with his own interpretation. Verse 12, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted it to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. So he suddenly he's remembered and he's remembered he's promised Joseph that he'll put in a good word for him once he gets his freedom. Promptly forgot because he's enjoying his like all the excitement of coming back into his role and whatnot. He'd forgotten poor Joseph. Um, but here he is now, and this is God's timing. This is God's moment for Joseph. So even though it was another two years of Joseph languishing in prison, this was God's moment for, for Joseph to be revealed. Verse 14, listen to this. Then Pharaoh sent 
and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. Now, Joseph had been in a pit of some description since his brothers threw him in the cistern. His freedom had been completely taken away from him. He had no rights or powers of his own. He was at the mercy of his oppressors and the people who had inflicted this on him. And uh, there, so uh, all these years, even when he was doing well in the house of Potiphar, even when he was serving two civil servants and being like the chief of the prison, he was still, uh, he was still captive. He didn't have freedom. He was still enclosed by boundaries that wouldn't give way to him. And I, I know what that feels like, and I'm sure you do. Many of us do. We know what it feels like to be in, you know, like kind of trapped in our circumstances and unable to move out of them. But then then in this moment of God's deliverance and God's kairos, God's moment of action and significance for Joseph, suddenly everything happens all at once. They quickly bring him out of the pit. And when he'd shaved himself and changed his clothes so he didn't smell like dead fox, he came in, That I added that bit, before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret. Who, who can interpret it? I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favourable answer, right? So here he is. He's in front of the most powerful person in the land, you know, in the world, probably at his time of history. And he's saying, God, this isn't going to be me who gives you the answer. I prayed for a guy um, for healing. He was not, he was an agnostic. He wasn't a complete atheist, but he was an agnostic. And I said, are you happy for us to pray for you? And he said, yes, I am. I said, can I just be clear? I'm praying to Jesus. I'm not praying to some life force that I think may be out there or some mystic connection with the universe. I'm praying to Jesus Christ. OK, and so when you're healed, it's going to be him who's done it. And just to be absolutely clear. And Joseph is being absolutely clear. He's saying, listen, it's not in me. It's God who's going to give you a satisfactory answer. Now, I don't think he's saying it's going to be favourable necessarily. He's saying it's going to be a, a, an accurate answer that you, you're going to know it's, it's the word. It's the truth. Verse 17. So God, so Joseph is, is accurately and kind of promptly attributing his wisdom and knowledge and insight and discernment to God. He's not taking it on himself one tiny little bit. And I just want to say that is the mark of a true servant of God, somebody who entirely attributes their strength and their gift and their ability and the the anointing on their life to God himself, rather than say, kind of like letting a little bit trickle through so I look good. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But 
When they'd eaten them, no one would have known that they'd eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. And then I awoke. That's a pretty scary dream, isn't it? These these cannibalistic, skinny, emaciated cows devouring the lovely, big, plump ones. There's something so lovely about a healthy cow, and yet these ugly, tiny, skinny, scrawny things are coming in here and just devouring the living daylights out of these plump cattle. And oh, and even when they've finished eating, there's nothing, there's no benefit to them. They haven't gained in weight or anything. It's just a horrid, horrid picture of famine. Good morning, Julie. And good morning, Jim. Great to see you. Um, and uh, so then verse 20 so hold on, we've done verse 20, and then I awoke. Verse 22, he says, I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Now, any of us who've heard this story before will kind of think, it's pretty obvious. But it, everything supernatural and miraculous looks obvious afterwards when God's done it. And we hear the story and we kind of get used to it and we live in the good of it. And we tell this, it seems like really obvious because you think, yeah, of course. But at the time, Pharaoh is completely stumped. He's got no idea what's going on here. What God is trying to say, magicians can't satisfy him either. And so drum roll, please. Here comes Joseph. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. They're saying the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears are seven years. If you're Welsh, years sound like years and it's confusing. But anyway, right. So he says, basically, the dream, dreams are saying the same thing. They're both the picture of the same um, thing God's trying to say. Um, the seven lean and ugly cows that came, so right, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow because it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Right, let's pause there. This is really, really interesting. There's the, the This dream is, is a double whammy. God is saying the same thing in two different ways. He's saying there's going to be seven years of famine, that come on the back of seven years of absolute plenty. But the famine is going to be so severe that there will not be one trace. And people will have completely forgotten the seven good years because the famine will be so severe and everyone will be so impoverished and starved by the famine. There'll be no hint of all the plenty left over. But listen to this, This because I, I think this is really interesting, because sometimes people say, what's the point of praying if God's got a will? 
God's got a perfect will and he's decided and it's all set in stone. Well, I think here we get a little hint about something. He says the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. Now, I think sometimes God um, puts up, a, allows a situation to develop and he wants to recruit intercessors, people who will engage with him like um Abraham did over Sodom and Gomorrah and begin to negotiate and begin to pray and intercede about the situation. And I've just come back from Northern Ireland and God, by his incredible grace, really amazingly answered our prayers and changed a situation, a political and social situation there in response to our prayers and a load of other people's. But history changed and I, I'm a witness of it. And people yesterday were telling me how things had changed because of that, those events where we were involved in praying. And that we just think, no, God, you did that. That is incredible. We can't do it. You did it. But there are some other things that seem to happen. And even though thousands of people may be praying, it seems like God's set this thing in stone and it's going to happen. And it seems like this thing with the famine, God was saying, this is fixed. It's no good even asking me to not do it. It's going to happen. So we can think about that for a long time and ponder it and discuss it. And it's so in, such an interesting topic um, about God's sovereignty and our involvement in his will and so on. But now this is, listen to this, because this is also really incredible. And this is the Joseph anointing. You've heard people maybe mention the Joseph anointing. There's a, there's the spirit of God is on Joseph, but he is able to have put suddenly stepped aside from all these unjust imprisonment. He's not there in front of Pharaoh campaigning and saying, I'll tell you the dream if you, you know, if you kind of give me justice. He's not banging the drum for his own justice and his own um, exoneration. He's he's just like saying, this is the dream. I'm here to serve you right now. Here's, but listen to this, the, the, the anointing of Joseph doesn't just identify the problem, but it devises, it has the wisdom to devise a solution to fix the problem and to bring God's blessing and favour into the situation, which is so, so immensely cool, right? And he says, now therefore, so he's on a roll, he's not just interpreted the dream, but he's on a roll and he's now counselling Pharaoh and giving Pharaoh wisdom from God. He says, now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for good for food in the cities and let let them keep it that food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. That's really interesting. They were so prosperous that one fifth of everything they gathered in those those seven plentiful years was going to be enough to tide them through the most severe famine that anyone that was in living memory, which is just incredible, isn't it? And so this is Joseph's wisdom. This is the anointing of 
wisdom coming through here. I think if only we could understand this is available to you and me. This isn't just a Joseph thing. This doesn't isn't just for one guy in history. This is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Which I bang on about in my lovely book, The Christing. It is all about this kind of thing, about God supernaturally filling a simple human being with the power of his spirit to um, to bring transformation into the lives of human beings. Now, the battery on my phone is running out. I'm not sure we're going to finish this chapter, but let's see how we get on. Whew, so this is amazing. So um, this proposal, verse 37, please Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? That's the point. No, you can't. They don't exist. The only there is something extra and unique and wonderful about the man or woman who is clothed in the spirit of God for a given situation. And this is Joseph's moment. And there is no one like him. There is literally no one like him on the face of the earth. And Pharaoh has access to the finest brains in the world. And he says, is there anyone like him? No, there isn't. He says, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Now, he knows it's the spirit of God because Joseph has already made that clear to him. But now he's seen the evidence of that at work. He knows what the anointing is all about. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You should be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. <laughs> this is so cool. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. So you're going to be my second in command. You're going to be I'm going to be the top guy regarding the throne i'm the king but everything else is your department which is so cool isn't it and this happened again and again in joseph's life didn't it three this is the third time now and pharaoh said to joseph see i have set you over all the land of egypt then pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath Paneah. And he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, prince of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. This is such a turnaround. This is rags to riches in a heartbeat, isn't it? This is just the most extraordinary story. This is the prodigal son story reinvented, isn't it? Joseph has got the signet ring on his hand, the fine robes. He's been welcomed into the house. He was a slave. He was a prisoner. He had no freedom. Now he literally has got discretion over what everyone else in the whole of Egypt does. This guy who had no rights, no, no self um, uh, determination at all is now determining what everyone else will do in the whole land. This is extraordinary, but this is the anointing of the Holy Spirit coming out in Joseph at the right time. There was a wrong time, and it was in that intervening two years. It wasn't. It wasn't the right time, and suddenly it is the right time. 
um, boom, God releases Joseph onto the world stage like something else. And you, um, uh, we could go on and on and talk about the signet ring and all the rest of it. But just to say, remember Judah and what he did with his identity, his signet ring. He traded it for a prostitute. This is God restoring Joseph's true identity as a prince in the land. Oh, my. Unbelievable. Right. Verse 48. Joseph was 30 years old. Who else was 30 years old when they started their ministry? Jesus. Just going to say Joseph is a type, a picture, a foreshadowing of Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, and if you start thinking about that, it it just is an incredibly fruitful um line of inquiry, if you like. So, right, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. So he was checking it out. He was doing a survey of the land and the, the farm, the you know, the agricultural potential and so on. He went through the whole land and during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. So his the dreams are being fulfilled, as Joseph said. Verse 48, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in cities, in the cities. He put every city, sorry, hold on. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. So each city became like a storehouse city for the surrounding um, farms and fields and so on. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Two wonderfully prophetic names. And he's like marking the occasion of having had these two sons with a testimony in their name of God's incredible provision and what God. And he's telling his life story through the names of his sons, isn't he? Which is a cool thing to do. Verse 53, the land's. The, sorry, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. Verse 58, oh, verse 56. When, and when the famine had spread all over the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Joseph, came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Joseph's wisdom and provision and anointing was enough for a whole nation, but it was also enough to spread out and overflow into the nations around. And so Joseph's wisdom did not just ensure the survival of the Egyptian nation. And it ultimately, as we'll see, ensured the survival of his own nation and enabled that to prosper. But the other nations that were around also came to Egypt. And I don't think we could 
ever exaggerate what the anointing of the Holy Spirit is capable of in a single person. So you, me, whoever we are, no, this is Potiphar, he's the priest, it was Potiphar, they just sort of names in Egypt, they had all similar names, <laughs> um, but so different guy. Um, was the guy Joseph had worked for before. But what I'm saying here is this is really important. The anointing in you and I is so powerful. We we I don't think we've got any idea what we're capable of when God is releasing us in our moment to move in the full power and flow of the Holy Spirit. So may God bless you today and may God raise you up out of the pit and release you onto the world stage to be all that God's called you to be and to make the difference for not just the people immediately around you, but that it would spread out and ho oh, the sky's the limit. God bless you. Have an amazing day, you guys. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him, but more than anything else that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. And, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much. <laughs>